Welcome to Island Conversations with Sherry Bracken, where we talk about issues facing our big island community. Island Conversations, Sunday mornings on KWXX at 630 and on B93, B97 at 7 a.m. Or listen anytime online at kwxx.com. Island Conversations, brought to you by Parker School and by KTA Superstores, where you're someone special every day since 1916. Now, here's your host and producer, Sherry Bracken. Aloha. Welcome to the podcast of Island Conversations. Today, we have two guests. Josh Green, the Lieutenant Governor of the state and a medical doctor, will give us a look at what the state is planning relative to vaccinations for COVID-19. But we will start with the conclusion of our conversation with Mayor Mitch Roth, which we recorded several days before he was sworn into office on Monday, December 7th. Part one of our conversation about Mayor Roth's plans is online as a podcast at kwxx.com or b97hawaii.com or wherever podcasts are available. Mayor-elect Roth and I began talking about testing for COVID-19. In the past week, the county offered testing at eight different times or places, but much of the funding that has covered that has been from federal CARES funds. That funding runs out in some cases in just a week Mm -hmm. after you're inaugurated, Mm -hmm. and in some cases in about three weeks. So it's not clear how possible it's going to be to continue doing that amount of testing, at least to me, just because I know funding is running low. So what are you thinking about continuing the testing or taking a different approach at this point? It's really going to depend on what funding we have. So there's funding for personnel from the CARES Act funds that will be gone as of December 15th. Of course, all CARES Act funds has to be spent by the end of the month. So we have people that are working on overtime for the county. We have people that are contract workers. We have National Guard. Um, We have to assume the worst and hope for the best. And if it ends, we're looking at different ways of continuing as much as we can with private funding. And so I've been talking to some of our private partners, and they're looking at different ways of continuing that. If we can, that's great because... You know, every person that we can keep out that has it, that's a positive. Prevents community spread. But if we don't have the funds, we don't have the funds, we probably will be asking the governor to go from 72 hours prior to 96 hours. Meaning for the pre-travel testing. Yes, because we're hearing so many problems with the 72 hours. So we need to look at things like that, too. Funny you mentioned the 72 hours. My chiropractor and I talked on the phone last night because she got her test just at the, you know, first part of the 72 hours. She got it with CVS, which is currently our biggest trusted testing partner, 2,800 locations in the country. But they have said because of the excessive demand on the mainland, they cannot guarantee results within 72 hours and her problem is she didn't get her results and now she by the governor's new requirement that you have to have your test before you board the plane she's told she has to be in quarantine for 14 days meaning she's giving up two weeks of revenue even though she did the right thing and that's been a topic of discussion by the state house select committee on COVID-19 Dr. Mark Mugishi of HMSA and Ray Vera head of Hawaii Pacific Health said pre-travel testing has proven to be a success. Our positivity rate in the state now 
is actually lower than it was before we started the pre-travel testing. But because of what's happened with that sort of surprise announcement about you have to have your test result or you are going to be in quarantine no matter when you get it, that has caused hotels to get cancellations. I mean, we're talking thousands of room nights have been canceled because people are concerned about spending the money to come here and then maybe stay in a hotel for 14 days. I think I heard uh, Mufi Hanneman say that it's been several millions of dollars yes. of revenue to oh, the state. hundreds of millions. And Carl Bonham... Well, I think just in this last couple of weeks, yeah. I mean, this last, last week. Right. And Carl Bonham of the University of Hawaii Economic Research Organization said... When pre-travel testing went in, they actually saw such an increase in tourism, you know, not huge, but a lot, that they increased their economic forecast. But after that change, they have decreased it because of all the cancellations. And this really leads me to a question that's very germane to Hawaii Island, which is, because of the cancellations, some hotels are saying we may not be able to bring back all the workers we already have workers out of work, and the Hawaii Island Food Basket has been going overboard and over time to feed thousands of people on our island. They're having concerns. What can and should the county do? What do you think you can do as mayor to help support the Hawaii Island Food Basket? Because they're providing what I'd say is the most basic fundamental need of people, and that is food. Yeah. This is one of those things where we need to come together as a community. But moving back to part of this is this whole COVID thing, we need to come up with rules that are going to keep people safe, but also keep people safe. (laughs) We've limited ourselves. And I think one of the things is 72 hours may not be enough time. That 96 hours should give us that bigger window. And I don't think we lose very much in that 24 hours. A day is not going to make a difference in that. And everybody's advocating post-travel testing that generally the consumer, the visitor, or their employer would pay for. Yeah. And the other thing is, it's kind of funny, we're we're talking about how we help things like the food bank and other nonprofits that are out there helping. When you support the food bank, you're not only supporting the food bank, but you're supporting local farmers and keeping people employed. So we need to find reasons to support our nonprofits to buy local. Do you think the county is going to be able to afford to give money to the food basket? Because they do spend the money locally. They shop local. They're a perfect example of what we all need to be doing. It's really critical at this time. And I know the county does not have unlimited money. The county doesn't have unlimited money. And, uh, you know, the state does not have unlimited money. You know, one of the things that we're talking to all of the federal delegation from Hawaii, they're all looking at packages where they're going to help local county governments. My belief is that we may end up waiting until February. So we may have a tough January. And it may be that people that have think more about helping those that have not. Maybe that's something that we can encourage people to do, Sherry. My thinking is if people have the opportunity to volunteer to assist, this is a great opportunity to do that. I'm going to volunteer after I retire on December 31st. Awesome. Awesome. (laughs) We're looking at using more volunteers through the county as well. That's a good idea. Speaking of the county, the current administration established a COVID command center at Auntie Sally's, and I know that was not inexpensive. It's theoretically under Hawaii County Civil Defense, 
given the expense, do you have a plan at this point for that COVID command center at Auntie Sally's? Yeah. You know, one of the things that's happening is civil defense is going to get a kind of a makeover. They're looking at moving civil defense during that period. There's been a request already that's come to me to see if we can continue the operation there. And I think it makes a lot of sense to have a place where people can meet for civil defense matters, at least during the time that they're doing the makeover. So we're already looking at that. How long that goes on is another matter. We need to look at the finances and stuff like that. But it makes sense to use that as a temporary home while the permanent home is being fixed up. Does that mean that you will actually give control of that command center to Hawaii County Civil Defense? Well, I don't intend on running civil defense. Uh, Glad to hear it, actually. <laughs> I, I think the mayor job is big enough. One of the conversations that I had with Talmadge. And, and this uh, is Talmadge Magno, Talmadge who's Magno, administrator who's, for who's Hawaii administrator, County Civil Defense. Right, is that, are you guys ready to take over and move forward? And so he is, and there's some plans that they have, and I've talked to them about those plans. A lot of people talked about different departments staying and stuff. There's actually a couple of departments, I don't know if you knew this, there's a couple of departments that are actually civil service. Civil defense is one, and mass transit is another one. Oh, I didn't know mass transit was. Interesting. I knew Hawaii County Civil Defense was a civil service position, which personally to me makes no sense whatsoever. Actually, it kind of does make sense. Okay. The civil defense administrator is actually chosen by the state with the mayor's backing. Well, I think it'll be good if Hawaii County Civil Defense has full authority to do the job that they are supposed to be doing. It helps all of us in the county if we can have that authoritative source. And I realized that was Mayor Kim's kuleana before, and I know that he played a very large role in it, but I think it's good that you're going to focus on the mayor job and let Talmadge Magno do civil defense. Yes. Which brings us to communication. And I'd say that communication about the county's plans and rules during this pandemic has not been the best that it could be. So how do you plan to communicate Mayor-elect Mitch Roth? Well, you know, we are put together a communications team, so we'll have a PIO officer. Public information officer. Right. I'm hoping to have regular daily briefings that are coming out, and hopefully we're getting that information out accurately and quickly. I think that's both important, to get it out timely and get it out accurately. The press doesn't like it when we get a revision 20 minutes later or an hour later or two hours later after we've already used it. Yeah, and part of my thought process is that I'd rather make a mistake than have it delayed for a long period of time. With civil defense stuff, we'll be asking Talmadge to take the lead. I think right now the mayor has been kind of in the lead with everything that is written, so we're going to make some changes there. And I just want to do a brief interruption to let you know that after Mayor Roth and I recorded this interview, he did announce who the public information officer is going to be, and it is Cyrus Jonathan. I was honored that Mayor-elect Roth asked me to be one of the people on the team to evaluate the candidates to be the public information officer. Bobby Command, who is the deputy managing director and was a news reporter for about 25 years, and I were two of the people on that team. And he and I both agreed absolutely that Cyrus was the right guy to do that job. He has come from Kamehameha Schools on Oahu. He is from the Big Island, and he and his wife moved back here after she finished law school. Let's get back to our discussion. 
Relative to communication, as you well know, Mayor-elect Mitch Roth, when you were a candidate, the Big Island Press Club sponsored a forum, and one of the key questions was, will you do regular press conferences at which the press specifically can ask you questions? And you said yes. So what's your plan to fulfill that promise? Well, we're going to fulfill that promise. I mean, okay. we will have uh, press conferences or, I, you know, I'm trying to think, will it be press conferences or how that will work? I mean, how does a press conference work generally? I mean, the mayor could call something when there's something that they want to talk about, or you can have regular talk stories. And, you know, one of the things I've done through the campaign is through the Facebook Live and Zoom Live and Instagram Live, I think we've used all of those to have regular talk story sessions with the community. I'm kind of looking forward to doing that on a regular basis, whether a monthly or so. Just a chance for not just the press, but the general public to go online and ask questions. Uh, people say that I'm crazy for doing that. You know, oftentimes when you don't know what the questions are, it makes it kind of exciting. What I learned is when I give the public that opportunity to ask questions that I don't know the answers, it leads me into finding the answers and, and finding out what the problems are, as well as finding new solutions. Oftentimes, the public will bring out those solutions. So with the press, I plan on doing that. I'm not exactly sure uh, how that will happen, but I have several people that have worked for the press, including Bobby Command, my deputy managing director, and uh, my new PIO. So I think there's a lot of people that will take me through how it's done. But in all honesty and candor, I don't know how I'm going to do that yet. Okay. Well, <laughs> just let me say that I think your idea of doing Facebook Live and answering questions from the general public is a really good idea to keep you very much in tune with the community. But I also think doing separate, similar kind of thing, a Zoom call perhaps with members of the press is a good idea because sometimes members of the press will probe you more specifically and not let you skate on answers. Not that you have attempted to skate on answers before, but sometimes the press has a little bit of background information. So I urge you to do both. Okay. I got a question from a member of the public. Okay. If somebody has a good idea on how the county can save money or be efficient, how do they best convey that idea to you? You know, that's a great question. I, I think we're going to need to set something up so we can do that. I've been having people call me on my cell and, and <laughs> write me on my personal email. One of the things that I'm realizing is that I'm going to need to do a little bit better job of managing my time. I love answering the public's questions. I love when they have ideas and looking into that. I'll probably have one of the executive assistants looking into those things. So I'm going to have to get back to you on the best way to do that. Probably is going to be send something to the mayor's office, uh, to, to my email at the mayor's office, and we'll have our team look at it. But on that same note, I had a great opportunity this last week to talk to second graders at Volcano School. <laughs> I bet and they had some good ideas. They had some great <laughs> ideas. They were so cute to talk to. And they write these little thank you notes, and I got to write back to them. You, know, you just can't not, not write back of to course. them. Of course. So I was just realizing this weekend when I had, you know, a couple of hundred emails and I'm sitting in the office on Saturday 
it's important to make sure that the public has a way of communicating those ideas. And so I really need to ratchet that down a little bit so it, so it's you know a more formal way of, of doing it. So Mayor-elect Mitch Roth, what would you like to share before we say aloha? Although we've had some really difficult times and we're, you know, it looks kind of daunting, I have a lot of hope and a lot of faith that we're going to see some great things from the county in this next four years. We're really looking at our county officials treating people with dignity and respect, changing the philosophy to a county that helps people thrive and succeed. With all the problems out there, I see those as all opportunities that we have to, to fix things. Mayor-elect Mitch Roth, thank you so much for your time, your mana'o, and I think everybody is looking forward to moving forward. And I hope everybody embraces what you say about hope and helping, too. You know, you've talked about we all play a role in getting us through this pandemic, don't we? We all do. You know, we want a safe community. Then it's all of our kuleana. And moving forward, if we want a community that's going to thrive, that we can all be proud of, all of us have to be in it together. Mayor-elect Mitch Roth, thank you so much. Aloha. Aloha. Thank you, Sherry. And a brief interruption to remind you, this is Island Conversations. I'm Sherry Bracken. This is a wonderful opportunity I've had to interview people like our now mayor, Mitch Roth, although we recorded the interview just before he was sworn in on December 7th. And then our next conversation this morning is going to be with Lieutenant Governor Josh Green. We recorded him on Friday to get the latest update on COVID vaccines in our state. And I say this has been a wonderful opportunity. I am retiring from this job on December 31st. I'll be leaving KWXX and B97, B93. I've had wonderful opportunities to talk with people like the lieutenant governor, like the mayor, and so many other interesting people in our state. Before we get to Lieutenant Governor Josh Green, a word from our sponsors who I very much appreciate. I love my school. My school feels like family. At Parker School, we are one ohana. At Parker School, your child is known, valued, and nurtured in a safe and diverse community. We invite you on a Valina visit, a virtual campus tour to meet our school community and discover our historic campus in the heart of Waimea. Join our ohana, where students feel safe to explore, evolve, and excel as compassionate learners engaging enthusiastically in life. Call 885-7933 or visit parkerschoolhawaii.org to register, learn about financial aid opportunities, or about Parker School. And now a word from KTA Superstores with great mahalos to Toby Taniguchi. He and his late dad, Barry Taniguchi, have supported my work since almost since I began in radio. At KTA, local and fresh means you get the very best Hawaii Island has to offer. The grass-fed meats you find at KTA are raised without added hormones or antibiotics. Our seafood department is stocked with sustainable choices caught in local waters by local fishermen. KTA carries the largest selection of Hawaii Island homegrown produce. Our mountain apple brand is all local so you know it's fresh and delicious. Local and fresh always tastes best at KTA. Next week, join me for a conversation with Richard Taft, Chief Executive of West Hawaii Community Health Center. And now to the conversation with our state's Lieutenant Governor, who's also an emergency room physician, Dr. Josh Green. Good morning, aloha, Lieutenant Governor Dr. Josh Green. 
Good morning. I'm so glad to hear your voice, Sherry. Well, I am so glad to hear yours. In the Thursday press conference about vaccines, you sounded positively ebullient about the first two vaccines that we're going to likely see, those from Pfizer and BioNTech, plus the one made by Moderna. I am. I'm optimistic that we're going to get more vaccine than we had anticipated. And I'm cautious like any other dad or doc or member of our community would be, but with some good results, some data that's been satisfactory and that we get assurances it's safe, it will be a great thing for Hawaii and all countries across the world to get vaccinated to get out of the COVID crisis. Dr. Green, we normally think of vaccines as containing a snippet of the actual virus, dead or alive, to help our body develop an immune response. But the first two vaccines are based on entirely different technology called messenger RNA or mRNA. Could you briefly explain what this technology is? For sure. Keeping in mind that I did my virology training quite a while ago, and you've known me since I was a young rep, but I can tell you that this is the way it goes. The virus makes, like any other cell or viral entity, it makes proteins, and that's what the mRNA is. So viruses have DNA, and then they make this stuff. And the mRNA, in this case it's called spike protein, is made by the viruses. So without getting too crazy complicated, because even I couldn't understand that either, the scientists have looked at this mRNA. They've been able to replicate what it makes, And so that way, instead of giving us the virus, they give us this compound in the vaccine, which our body knows, hey, that thing looks dangerous. It doesn't look good. I'm going to go beat the heck out of it. That's what the vaccine becomes. Our body recognizes this this compound. It's not virus, so you can't get sick with COVID when you get it in your vaccination. But the body still says, that thing is not right. I'm going to make antibodies to that. And those antibodies also would fight off the actual virus if you were exposed to it. And that's how a vaccine starts working in your body. And this technology is good because, just like you said at the outset, you don't have to actually give a fragment of some kind of live virus to a large number of people. We don't want to do that because we don't want people to get sick. Now, what makes you, as a medical doctor, feel confident in the safety of these first two vaccines? Well, one thing is that over 30,000 people uh, took them and were part of the studies. And that's a good number of people. Another thing that makes me feel somewhat confident is there are a lot of people across the globe that are actually starting about a week ahead of us, for instance, Great Britain, and they're getting the vaccine, and we'll be able to hear what their experience is. Also, I've read the papers and the literature about what the side effects are, and it's no joy to have pain in one's arm or the fatigue and maybe aches in the muscles and joints for a couple days. But I can tell you, having had COVID personally, it's way better than getting COVID. It's better to get the vaccine as long as we don't see any terrible side effects from the vaccine or actually uh, health problems that develop from it. Now, I can't say with 100% certainty that it's going to be perfect for everybody. In fact, some people with severe allergies are being, uh, they're being discouraged from taking it. Pregnant women are not going to be recommended uh, to take it because we haven't studied that group of people yet. So there are some people that shouldn't yet take the vaccine, but So far, so good. We have not seen a large number of people with a big problem. And COVID is a big problem globally. It really has been extremely rough, whether you look at it from the perspective of the 69 million people that have caught COVID and the 1.5 million people that have died, or the way it's affected everyone and the isolation it's caused and the economic collapse of many different economies. All of these are considerations 
and a vaccine that gives us a lot of immunity globally will solve some of those problems. Some of the other vaccines that will be coming along do not use the messenger RNA technology. They're going to be using different technologies. So I'm just curious. I realize the other vaccines haven't presented their phase three clinical trial results quite yet, but is it likely that one might recommend different types of technology, different types of vaccines for different populations? Yes, it is. And, and some of the studies are being done on like a larger number of elderly for one vaccine versus less for another. Other vaccines might be just more consistent with the pediatric population. We may find that. It's actually a really interesting time for people working in that industry because you had an incredible influx of federal and state-supported resource all across the globe into a lot of different researchers' labs to try to find a way to keep us safe from infectious disease. That's why we're having different technologies. It's going to be a blessing going forward. Not all these technologies are going to work. Some of the vaccines will not ultimately be recommended. But it could very well be that we have four, five, or six different vaccine options in 2021. That's why I was pretty optimistic on Thursday in the press conference, because I see the numbers. I know how many vaccines we're going to get from Pfizer. I know how many we will get from Moderna in the first two weeks if they get approved. It's not a small number. The additive number is over 81,000 vaccines. That's the first shot. It's 81,000 people in Hawaii who are healthcare professionals or are kupuna who live in long-term care facilities could suddenly start getting significant immunity. And then you add a second, then a third, then a fourth possibility. We could get vaccinated a lot faster than what some people were predicting, like late summer. I would much rather see us get through this in the spring, if at all possible. Well, that would be good. Going back to the Pfizer vaccine and a couple of the people on the first day or the first couple of days in Great Britain who had severe allergic reactions, I heard doctors from Great Britain discussing that. I think that was two or three people, but these were people who had a history of severe allergic reaction. They already knew that they were allergic to a whole variety of things. So it sounds like where they have actually started vaccinating, things are looking good. So that's very positive for us. It is. In fact, I think what you're expressing is very thoughtful. Uh, that is the circumstance of people who get anaphylaxis, which is severe allergic reaction. They already have a hyperactive immune system. And that hyperactive immune system is, I'll tell you, uh, it's a problem for some people. It is actually essentially a syndrome unto itself. And it's not uncommon for those individuals to have so many allergies that even food allergies can send them over the top, like you're saying peanuts or eggs. And, you know, egg proteins have sometimes been used in immunization. So that cross-reactivity is historical, and it didn't surprise me at all. Thank goodness, as far as I've heard, no one has had any severe long-term consequences yet from having taken the vaccine and had that circumstance, being a hyperactive immune system person. But there's there's going to be some of this when you start talking about vaccinating hundreds of millions of people. And I know that gives some people pause. I, I want to say out of respect to those who might not believe in vaccinations, I respect you and your decisions, whatever you make. I, I personally, once I've seen the data and science is satisfactory, I will get the vaccine. My family, my children will get the vaccine. And you know how much I love them and my wife. So I would never do anything to harm ourselves if I didn't believe in it. But I do still, having said all of that, if someone still doesn't feel ready, that's okay. We have to see understanding because through understanding, I think, we'll actually, in my opinion, get more people vaccinated 
because more people will realize it's okay and we'll keep studying and seeing the results. Dr. Green, you actually had COVID-19. I had COVID-19 in October. We are two of more than 18,000 in this state to have confirmed a positive test. But if one has had COVID-19, what are the implications of getting the vaccine? That's a great question, actually, Sherry. I did ask that question. It appears that there's going to be guidance from the CDC that it will, in, if it's been within 90 days, they probably will recommend that people do not have to get it, even if they're in a high-risk category. There's nothing to prevent a person from getting the vaccine. Let's say that you fall into category, you're not very old, but let's say you just happen to creep over that threshold to get into phase 1C, and you're ready to get the vaccine, you could get it, even if it's been less than three months. I had my diagnosis on 9-11, which was three months ago, right? I expect, if it's recommended to me as an ER doctor, that I will get it, even though it's been that three-month window. So... We'll hear a lot more about this, and we'll also get more data. Each week, we're going to be hearing lots of reports, because there's many thousands of people that are going to fall into that category. In the USA alone, we've got 15 million-plus cases, right? So lots of people are going to want to get vaccinated in the U.S. who have had COVID. Particularly because the studies aren't really clear on how much immunity one has if one has had COVID. You don't know if you're immune. Yeah, the suspicion is that you definitely get 90 days of immunity, so... That's why there's not special urgency, and then it does become a resource question. Let's say we do have some finite resources, and you're in, let's take a place like New York, where a lot of people had COVID, but they also have to immunize many millions of people. It might be, you know, sensible if you've already had COVID to wait your turn a little longer because you probably do have some immunity. But the highest-risk folks, those who work in like doctors or nurses who work in long-term care facilities or operating rooms, those guys, we don't want them to catch it and then spread it to patients, right, to the rest of us. So if we can vaccinate them soon, it's a good idea, as long as they want to take it. The head of our state health department, Dr. Libby Char, said the first priority for vaccination would be frontline health care workers, which includes you, residents and staff of long-term care homes, and then first responders and essential workers, but also said the state is waiting for the CDC's final recommendation on priorities. Why do we in Hawaii have to wait for the CDC's recommendation? We don't have to wait. We really only have to technically wait for their approval. I talked to the deputy director of the CDC yesterday, very good person. We don't have to wait to make our decisions on who exactly we will vaccinate. We have to do things like make sure we sign a data use agreement with them and other technical stuff. But it is helpful to be on the same page if possible, just because though we have some nuances in our society. This is a new thing to do a vaccine within a year, and we don't want to be too far afield with the recommendations. But we will be able to make some of our own choices. For example, we have to ask ourselves, who are our vulnerable people? In some ways, it's the Pacific Islander community that had large outbreaks and had lots of spread to other people, that might be a prudent place to place some of our attention. And they're certainly not going to know that back in D.C. They don't know anything about Pacific Islander people. We also know how many nursing homes we have in our rural communities, and that was one of our vulnerabilities. Now, fortunately, they came to the same conclusion that that should be done and that we should vaccinate our Ipuna at long-term care facilities. But that proved to be an example of where we were on the same page. You know, lots of input. I mean, I can't even tell you how many hours a week is being devoted to the vaccine program. It was all about testing just a month ago, and now you can expect it's going to be mostly conversations about the vaccine program. 
A digression on the topic of the CDC. President-elect Joe Biden intends to name as head of the CDC Dr. Rochelle Walensky. She is chief of infectious diseases at Mass General and professor of medicine at Harvard Medical School. She started out at Johns Hopkins. Any thoughts on Dr. Walensky as head of the CDC? Well, it sounds like she kicked butt. She checks all of the perfect boxes, and I'm sure she's extraordinary. I don't know her personally. It makes me happy when I hear that someone's been trained at Hopkins and has had these kind of experiences. The experience I've had, because I've been in communication with the both once and future Surgeon General, this is a friend of mine, Vivek Murthy. He, Dr. Murthy has put together a pretty serious team, and he's the principal advisor to President-elect Biden. So they're picking very top people in health and human services. What happens beyond that, I don't know those folks as much, but I have learned that there's kind of a, uh, a cadre of individuals in the political world, both on the conservative side and on the more moderate to liberal side, that are essentially in line and have been thought about for years to serve in these positions. I think that incoming President Biden's health team is going to be pretty top-notch. Okay, now I want to ask about neighbor island distribution, because obviously the biggest population is on Oahu, but, you know, we're out here. So the first two vaccines require super cold shipment, minus 70 to minus 90 degrees, though the Moderna vaccine, once shipped, is said to be able to be stored at normal refrigeration temperature for about a month. Where, in general, do the neighbor islands stand relative to getting sufficient vaccine supplies? And that includes everything, the syringes, everything, as well as the vaccine. And does our island have the ability to keep the vaccines stored properly and administered properly? We do. We definitely do. For one thing, the demand is going to be so high in the early phases of the vaccine process, we don't expect to have much storage time. We expect to get, as the general says, shots into arms really quickly because a lot of people want to get it. Also, a lot of our private partners in the healthcare industry like Kaiser and Queens and all these folks, they've actually been purchasing the super freezers, the deep freeze. So they can do it. And we have military capacity also to back support us. So there's lots of ways to make sure we have this logistical challenge managed. And it is a big lift. I'm not going to fib here. I mean, we're, we're talking about vaccinating somewhere between 50% of our people line up that 700,000. If it's 70%, which it will be eventually, that's a full million people. And they're spread out all over the state. I've already had meetings and conversations with people from Lanai this morning. And Lanai is our smallest population. These conversations are being had, and Big Island has the second largest population with our 250,000 or so people. So we're ready to go. Oahu will be a little easier because there are more hospitals around that all are built for this. But we know that our HHSC system and then also North Hawaii Community Hospital, they're able to partner with all the local providers, the long-term care facilities, and so on to make sure this happens. We also have partners in the pharmacy. We have Walgreens and CVS that have been tapped by the federal government to do a lot of the vaccinations at the long-term care facilities. So those guys also have the capacity to keep things in deep cold. Yeah, that's all good. I heard General Hara at the Thursday press conference, and he sounds as excited as you do about getting these vaccines out there, which is really nice. I have to credit Ben Gutierrez with Hawaii News Now. In the Thursday press conference, he asked a great question, which is, how will we know that the vaccine is actually working? What are going to be the measurements, Dr. Josh Green, you as not just a doctor, but in the administration? How are we going to know this is working? 
Well, one way we're going to know it is because we're going to have some samples of studies of people who get actual antibody testing. And there's going to be studies that are ongoing all across the country. I would expect Hawaii would be included. That's one way. Another way is what we do every day. My team, every single day, assesses how many people are in the hospital, how many new cases we have, how many active cases, how many uh, travel-related cases. We assess all these things day in and day out to make sure we're not seeing a spike. And so we will see trends that I believe will correlate specifically to when we start vaccinating people. So it's on our calendar and the whiteboard that I always have of when we start vaccinating people. So I will start reporting on number of people that we vaccinated probably weekly in my weekly update. And that way you'll get an idea and you'll be able to see, oh, okay, we've now been vaccinating for two weeks. We've now vaccinated 25,000 people. Has it made a difference or hasn't it? Keep in mind, immunity will not kick in significantly until after people get that second shot. So I would not expect to see trends until the latter part of January at the soonest. I'll also be watching things like mask wearing. I don't want people to get a false expectation of safety just because some people are getting vaccinated and all of a sudden people stop wearing masks. That would be the worst thing possible to do because at the end of the day, masks are going to be a much better way to stop COVID for a good long while still, even than the vaccine. Vaccine's only going to go into maybe 8 or 10% of our population right off the bat. Then it'll start expanding a lot when we get into spring. Meanwhile, COVID will still be here. We've only had infection of probably somewhere between 1.3 and maybe 5% of all of our people. The other 95 to 98.7% could still get infected if we let our guard down. So this is not the time to let up. This is the time to double down on stopping COVID, keep the gatherings very small, have a very safe Hanukkah and Christmas, please, everybody. We avoided the surge from Thanksgiving, thank goodness. That's a small miracle. And I'm grateful for people's sacrifice. I really am. But now it's a sign of hope that we get to vaccinate people, but the reality of the benefit won't come fully until spring at the soonest. What about children? Will these vaccines be appropriate for children? And is there an intent to require school kids to get a COVID-19 vaccine, or are we too soon on that? It's a little too soon. We still need to see some good concrete data from the pharmaceutical industry as to whether or not it's fully safe, and we want to see the actual experience of our people. We don't want to see anyone hurt, but a child, we cannot allow that to happen. The good news is children have not manifested COVID in any uh, severe way except for very tiny numbers with the multi-inflammatory system issue. So what we would say is I expect people to first get vaccinated, all of our vulnerable populations. I think our keiki will likely get vaccinated late spring or early summer in advance of the next school year. I think that's when we can hope that all of that's in place so that when we enter the 2021-22 calendar year, that we are not worrying about spread at schools nearly as much. Still, we'll have to be careful, but you know, that's going to be a part of the immunizations and going back to school process, I think, this coming year. What else should we know about the COVID-19 vaccine or its distribution? Anything you'd like to add about the vaccine? Well, I'd like to add that though it came on quite quickly, it's been the focus of global attention and global scientific work. This has been the number one priority it probably had the same number of person hours working on it as many other vaccines over the years. It just was intensified to an incredibly dense seven or eight months. So at this moment, I'm very optimistic, but I always reserve some right to be skeptical that it's going to be just a savior for us. I think that people are right to have some pause about vaccinations until they feel comfortable 
but I will lead by example. When it's my turn to get vaccinated and if I see it being safe enough, I'll do it. And I'll do it visibly so people will know that, you know, I'm putting my money where my mouth is, so to speak. And I think a lot of people feel that way. I want people to know that it will not be a cost to them. The federal government's going to cover the cost, and the state has said that only costs associated perhaps with the administration might be given to people, and even that insurance is going to cover. We will try to make it free in every way so that it's not an economic question for people. That wouldn't be fair. And I do think at this point this is the next major arrow in our quiver to stop COVID. And so I hope that that will be clear enough for people. I can't say that it's going to stop COVID in its tracks, but sure going to be a lot easier to deal with future surges or challenges knowing that half or 50% or more of our people are safe. Well, I look forward to seeing you get that vaccine on TV, as many have suggested you should. And it sounds like that's your plan. Yeah, I think it's important overall. I would only do it once it's my turn. I do happen to have this strange dual life where I'm still working in the hospital on Big Island, which is an important thing to me and into my community there. So I am one part doctor, one part lieutenant governor after all. I will do it to show people it's safe. I want to be there for people as their ER doc just in case they have any kind of challenge with it. So I'm looking forward to being there with our people as we go through this next phase. As we see, people be safer. And I tease about General Harrer, but he has really been one of the rocks for us through this whole crisis. He doesn't tolerate any nonsense. And that's a good thing because these are serious times. And needless to say, a lot of people have struggled greatly. And I want to see us all have an extraordinary 2021 after a tough 2020. I'm hopeful about the future, but there's a lot of work to be done still. One quick question about travel. I know that you and the State House Select Committee on COVID-19 are eager to get the governor to agree to make the pre-travel test window 96 hours instead of 72, particularly because now the rule is that you have to have your negative test result before you board the plane. And test providers on the mainland, even CVS, our biggest partner, can't guarantee the 72-hour. Any chance that that is going to happen, do you think? I don't think so right now. The governor's reluctant to make any major changes, and I understand. I would prefer to be able to make some small tweaks that make it easier. It may just be that we have to stand by and people have to go the extra mile to use the mail-in test. We're very likely to get extra testing, I believe, through Costco is a an added national partner, and there's some more. So I'll keep adding those folks, but there may not be any changes that would make it easier to get into Hawaii in the near future. Probably going to get through Christmas before any changes like that happen. Dr. Josh Green, our Lieutenant Governor, thank you so much for your mana'o. Aloha. Aloha. Thank you for having me. And to our audience, thank you so much for being with us for Island Conversations. I'm Sherry Bracken. Today we concluded our conversation with Hawaii County Mayor Mitch Roth, and we heard from our Lieutenant Governor, Josh Green, MD, about the plans that the state has for vaccinations for COVID-19. Until our next Island Conversation, please, let's all live and drive with aloha. Ahoi ho. Thank you for listening to Island Conversations with Sherry Bracken. Available anytime at kwxx.com. We welcome your feedback and suggestions at info at kwxx.com. Join us next week for another Island Conversations with Sherry Bracken. Brought to you by Parker School and by KTA Superstores, where you're someone special every day since 1916. And by New West Broadcasting.